morning good afternoon good evening everyone and welcome to this uh, book launch of unsung valor and i am particularly delighted to be uh, uh, to be here with all of you and i am looking forward to this entire event for a multiple of reasons so uh, unsung valor forgotten heroes from the kurukshetra war is uh, a collection of stories that has been curated by Sai Surupa Iyer, best-selling author, and published uh, by Bloomsbury uh, under the Indica label. <clears throat> and uh, we have uh, with us today Professor Vishwa Adluri, who has very, very graciously consented to be the chief guest and to launch this uh, this book. So I'll get into you know uh, I'll get into the details of what we are going to be covering over the next hour, hour and a half. Uh, so after these introductions, uh, we'll have Professor Adluri who will uh, deliver a talk on uh, some aspects of uh, the Mahabharat, the critical edition, and so on. After which we will do a launch of the book, and we'll hear from each one of uh, the authors as well as the curator. And this will be followed by a Q and A session. Uh, you can send in your questions at any point using the chat, uh, the chat function. We are also going to be live streaming this on Facebook. So if you want to watch it from there, you can do so. And uh, towards the end, we'll collect all the questions and we'll uh, uh, answer them based on you know who they're addressed to. You can send in your questions to the, uh, your questions can be in general about the Mahabharata, the Kurukshetra war. They can be addressed to Professor Adluri, to Sai Surupa, the curator, or any of our authors. So with that, I'll do a quick introduction of uh, Professor Adluri, even though he needs no introduction, but he holds a PhD degrees in philosophy and in Indology, and he teaches religion and philosophy at uh, uh, Hunter College in New York. Uh, he also has a website at www.presocratics.org, and he is also on Twitter under Vishwa Adluri, all one word. And he, along with Joydi Bakshi, have written two books, The Nay Science and Philology and Criticism. And in The Nay Science, this showed that how from its origins in the 18th century, neo-Protestantism onwards, the critical method was used as a way of making theological claims against rival philosophical and religious traditions. And in many, many ways, it is also a devastating expose of the institutional biases of 19th and early 20th century German Indology against Hindu and Indian scriptures. Then followed in 2018, Philology and Criticism, which was published by Anthem Press. And it is, a, a, as I said, a companion volume to the Nay Sciences. And it is the first work that presents a comprehensive review of the critical edition with overviews of the textual trees drawn up and how the, the logic of uh, these textual trees determine editorial choices, as well as an in-depth analysis of the strengths and drawbacks of the critical edition. Now, in bringing together this collection of uh, 10 authors, a very crucial critical role has been played by Indic today which performed this, uh, which provided a platform and provided this opportunity for authors to showcase their works, bring out, uh, uh, you know, the best of talent that that, that uh, is available across our country and even outside. And Indic today has been run by uh, Ms. Yogini Deshpande, 
and I would invite her to say a few words about Indic today. Thanks, Abhinav, for the uh, introduction. Uh, Namaskar, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, Indic today is the web media platform of Indic Academy. Um, its main thrust is to publish articles in different formats, quick reads, long reads, book reviews, and research papers on Shastras, civilization, Indic civilization, uh, medieval history, uh, <clears throat> earlier um, ancient history, and looking into subtopics such as ancient uh, astrology, ancient mathematics, development of science uh, in the Indic civilization, um, as well as uh, uh, critical pieces on Shastras, looking at some of other um, uh, matters also, such as uh, what are the Shastric influences on our everyday aspects, such as marriage, um, abortion, and other uh, issues. At the same time, we are also encouraging young researchers. When I mean to say young, it may not necessarily be in terms of age, but in terms of ones who are on this path to start studying and writing in these different topics. And uh, we provide uh, uh, we provide tools. One is in terms of how to write. We provide access to workshops in writing, um, also mentoring in how to write. Uh, even if pieces, you know, there's generally there are aspects of editing that are involved. Some platforms may reject a piece if there is extensive editing involved. Uh, which is what we've typically tried not to do so. We try and accept as many pieces if the content is correct and encourage young writers, researchers to write more on these different topics. Uh, we are always looking out for new writers uh, <clears throat> who could be students or philosophy, uh, philosophy um, uh, uh, students who are pursuing their PhD. In the past six months, we've also started uh, different languages, different Indian languages, Bharatiya languages, which is Hindi, Kannada, uh, we've recently started in Telugu also, and Sanskrit. In Sanskrit, we are opting to go for English and Sanskrit format so that people who are studying Sanskrit, who are learning Sanskrit, will be able to improve their language uh, skills based on having these two languages side by side um, in their, um, uh, for them to learn. So for those who are watching us, I would encourage you to submit your articles to editor at indictoday.com. Follow us on Twitter at indictoday.com and on Facebook. If you have any queries, please do reach out to me either personally uh, at for yogini at indicacademy.org or through in editor at indictoday.com. Thank you. Ab uh, Abhinav, you can move forward. Thank you, Yogini. And <clears throat> I'll uh, now request uh, Sai Surupa to share with us uh, some more details about the book because I provided a very, very brief introduction, but we are all uh, very, very excited to hear about the book itself, uh, uh, you know, how it came into, into creation and a little bit about the authors uh, themselves. Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, Abhinav. It was a pleasure uh, hearing this uh, story of Indic today, Yogini. Uh, namaskar, everyone. Uh, uh, very happy to have you all and share uh, 
uh, this event of the launch of Unsung Valor with you all and uh, a heartful gratitude to Vishwagaru who has agreed to be the chief guest. Uh, and thanks to Indic Academy and Indic Book Club, which made everything happen. And last but not the least, uh, a round of appreciation for all my writers who got together and produced such a masterpiece of a anthology. Uh, coming, uh, I think, uh, I hope I have time to uh, recollect the whole story that went behind uh, the making of Unsung Valor. Yes, of course. So, uh, about uh, three years ago, uh, Hari Kiran Garu, founder of Indic Academy, uh, we were interacting about various aspects of literature uh, and all. And uh, he sent a very interesting graphic with respect to uh, Game of Thrones about some number of conspiracies, who made the maximum number of conspiracies or something like that. And immediately I start the, my first uh, thought was about how, about how about we make a similar graphical application of the number of confrontations in the Kurukshetra Battle of Mahabharata. It was an 18 day war, an epic level uh, confrontation <clears throat> that claimed 18 Akshauhinis of army, that's nearly 4 million soldiers, warriors. That is not counting your Sarathis, Mahouts, and you know all the auxiliary men involved in the activities. Just the warriors, the say Rathi, Maharathi, Atirathi, uh, the ones riding elephants, horsemen, infantry, all everybody included the war claimed over 4 million lives. So that's basically the armies of all the Mahajanapadas that were existing during the times of Mahabharata. So we all know that uh, 11 Akshauhinis uh, belonged to the Kaurava camp and seven of them belonged to the Pandava camp. Now, very interesting statistics. Uh, I had published a series of articles on the statistics alone on Indic Today. Uh, you guys can search and uh, read the because the numbers are very interesting. But more interesting than the numbers is something which uh, Hariji had pointed out that 25% of the victories that each of the each side scored came from warriors who are almost forgotten or who are more famous in folklore, but their actual contribution in the war battle of Kurukshetra is forgotten and remains unsung. For example, uh, the first story, the very first story of unsung valor is on uh, Airavan. So Airavan became more popular as a folk deity in the southern region of India, but his uh, very valiant effort to you know, uh, overcome his opponents, be it Anuvinda, Vinda of Avanti, the Gandharan princes, his tales of valor go unsung. Same with Ghatotkacha, because a lot of people think that he just appeared on day 14 uh, so that uh, Krishna could uh, save Arjuna from Karna Shakti, but he has been, he had been fighting for all the 14 days and nobody talks about it. Same goes to a Panchala prince called Yudhamanyu and his twin brother Uttamaujas. 
So both of them protected Arjuna's chariot wheels on a very critical day, the day 14 of the war. So this way, there were a number of stories that uh, go unsung, which is why we conducted a short story competition under the banner of Indica, inviting stories from the public, from people who are interested and passionate about Mahabharata as passionate as I am passionate about Mahabharata and probably the the quotation that dharma rakshati rakshitaha maybe dharma aids uh, people who want to walk on path, the path of dharma uh, we found immensely talented and undiscovered writers all the 10 writers if i can uh, take all their names it's bharati uh, who wrote the story of airavan and yeah i just Ranjit Radha Krishnan, who wrote uh, the story of Shakuni, uh, The Invincible, about Jayadrata. There are two writers who wrote about the unsung battles of Jayadrata, Rupal Vaish and Abhyoday Kiran Hadal. Indra Among Rakshasas and The Redeeming of Ghatotkacha. Two stories on Ghatotkacha written by Siddharth Balaji and Shivkumar Jeevi. Mediocre son on Prativindhya, who is other you know, we, we talk about Abhimanyu, we talk about, we talk about even Ghatot Kacha, but we never talk about the sons of Draupadi uh, and Amrita Talukdar. She chose to write about uh, Prativindhya, the son of Yudhishthira and Draupadi and his battles in the war. And uh, Pranshu Saxena, who wrote about Yudhamanyu and Uttamaujas. Righteous traitor, that's about Yuyutsu, who did a Vibhishana in the Mahabharata. At the, on the brink of battle, he changes sides when Yudhishthira invites people from the other side to join his side. Yuyutsu changes side. And that has been uh, wonderfully written by Raksha, Raj, Rakshika Rajesh. And uh, very young Abhuday uh, Kiran Hadal, I have to mention, he is a 14-year-old who wonderfully explored the psyche of Jayadrata and yes there is Deepak Rao who also wrote the story of Bhagadatta. Uh, we often uh, uh, you know don't talk much about the participation of uh, kings from the northeast which was very much a part of India and Bhagadatta is the was the king of Assam and uh, the rest of the northeast who participates in this war with no selfish interest of his own. So this way uh, we have uh, collated and curated these unforgettable stories which were rather unsung and we hope uh, the stories become popular. We hope unsung valor induces uh, the same passion and interest in all the generations that would be reading this book in, in the epic of Mahabharata. And thank you. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. So, Abhinav, yes. Thank you, Sai, for this uh, introduction. I had, uh, I had, you know, no idea so much of, you know, fascinating nuggets are exist both in the book itself as well as, you know, the making of the book. I think, that, you know, there's a story there in itself. Uh, without any further ado, I will, uh, I will request Professor Adluri to please, uh, uh, you know, share his, uh, his thoughts with us.
So, <clears throat> hello everyone. Hello, uh, young and upcoming authors of the book Unsung Valor. Uh, hello, Hari Kiranji. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very proud to be here today. And hello to all my good friends, Abhinav, Yogini, and the rest of the team. Uh, it, I was truly amazed by uh, reading this book. And as you know, I am a scholar on the Sanskrit Mahabharata. So it has been, um, when I received the book, uh, I felt a real pleasure. Why is that? Um, it is because Indian tradition, the Mahabharata tradition is essentially a storytelling tradition. And we've come to a point in life where today we think, oh, it's just a story. But if you look at politics today, if you look at uh, where we are going with virtual reality and so on, uh, storytelling is, seems to be a very powerful uh, social force. And the Mahabharata taps into it and creates or injects social space or virtual space or uh, a narrative space, uh, space of identities, etc., with dharmic content. And uh, that is why uh, the Mahabharata is a dharmic text. It's not just a dharma text because it talks about dharma. The very fact that it is a the very fact that it is a storytelling uh, uh, exercise, uh, uh, the most tremendous uh, storytelling exercise, uh, kind of tells you, uh, gives you that dharma. Let me give you an example to clarify. Suppose we are all hunters and we are very violent, and we we hunt all day and at night uh, we, we are tired, we wish to rest, but we do not know if while I'm sleeping, uh, the Neanderthal laying next to me will kill me. So uh, we cannot live like that. Uh, how do we become civilized? Let us now imagine that one of these uh, primitive men stands up or woman stands up and says, I'm going to tell you all a story. So everybody suddenly moves a little closer, gathers together, forgets their, uh, uh, their animosities and so on. And they sit together and form an ethical substance vis-a-vis -vis the story. This Mahabharata tradition uh, was so important that it was kept alive uh, for over 2000 years. I don't want to get involved in the dates, forget it. Mahabharata would be a great book if it was written tomorrow. So uh, the date does absolutely nothing to it, except that we understand a few things uh, better uh, with that. So. I am going to show, share with you uh, a few slides on uh, the Mahabharata 
text manuscript tradition, how the story uh, was preserved and uh, how the story came down to us. Uh, this is one of the uh, uh, manuscripts that you see here, but uh, uh, what do you mean by um, uh, Sukhdankar, who created the critical edition, collected a various number of manuscripts. And he put, this is a birch bark manuscript. Uh, uh, as you can see, this is the bark of a birch tree. And written on these are the, pre are the precious stories, stories so precious to us today that uh, we would rather die than lose uh, the Mahabharata. And uh, scholars have dedicated their lives, poets have dedicated their lives, philosophers have dedicated their lives to preserving uh, this text. So besides the palm leaf or birch bark they used to use as writing instruments, a pen or a brush, and sometimes there was a sharp metal stylus, uh, like a blade, uh, and you would make uh, incisions in the material, and then you take uh, a lamp black, which is also called soot, uh, and rub it into the depressions and blow the rest away, and you will see black uh, uh, writing uh, in it. Now, a palm leaf lasts maximum 400 years. Uh, birch bark lasts 800 years, but as you can see, the medium is very, um, very, uh, perishable. It's not like uh, today with paper. Uh, sometimes wooden planks are used, uh, not too often, and I want you to pay attention to this uh, person. He's called a scribe. For sure this is Tamil and not Sans Sanskrit, uh, but notice how he holds the book and letter by letter nearly 75 to uh, 75,000 verses of the Mahabharata, approaching 100,000 if you add the Harivamsha, has been preserved like this. Which would mean that a father would have just enough time to train his son to be a scribe. And the son would spend his whole life inscribing and teach his son to do this. So think of generations of these scribes that have pre preserved this magnificent story for us today. So uh, it's not just a story. It is the blood. It is the sweat. It is the ink. It is the soul of who we are. Then uh, Sukhdankar uh, saw that many manuscripts were being destroyed uh, in the sense that they were falling apart. As you know, in modern India, we, there are no more kings. Usually kings used to patronize uh, the scribes and make sure that we had uh, a sufficient ample number of manuscripts available. But since 
since we no longer paid attention to these things because of uh, we had other political problems to solve, such as independence and so on, uh, many of these manuscripts were becoming lost irreparably, irretrievably. So Suktankar collects the best uh, minds of his time. Uh, he goes to uh, he goes to the Raja Pratinidhi of Aund, and uh, with his support, uh, is able to uh, fund minimally this project of collecting as many manuscripts as possible. So uh, one of the first things uh, he does is, uh, that's enough for that. So one of the first things he does is preserve the manuscripts. How? He makes uh, a lot of uh, cards, slips, and notes for every line, he notes all the variations in the various manuscripts. That entire data of every line in the Mahabharata with every available variation is now recorded in the critical edition. So the critical edition is a text of texts. It is a composition of compositions. No wonder, it, I mean, because we are storytellers here uh, and not cynical materialist scholars, let me tell you that Suktankar is the Abhinava Vyasa of our time. Because remember, Vyasa did the same thing to the Veda. He too compiled and uh, classified the Veda. So, uh, and Suktankar has done that for the Mahabharata. So, just as an intellectual project and as the heritage uh, of the Mahabharata, the critical edition is extremely important. A different kind of attack on Mahabharata came from the West. They insisted that stories have no meaning and represent the mindset of a primitive people and Hindus especially Indians, Hindus, uh, have been uh, have been careless about their history, and that the Westerners would teach Hindus how to give up these stories and become more scientific. So they took these texts and they said, some parts of this text, Mahabharata, looks, you know, decent which parts the war books. The war books are decent, uh, maybe historical, but the rest is just garbage stories. And uh, the whole Devasura Yuddha aspect, uh, this whole nonsense with Krishna. I mean, can there be a Bhagavad Gita in the Mahabharata, they argued, because at the moment of battle, who would stop and listen to 700 shlokas coming from Krishna? So these must have been added later on, uh, defiling, transforming uh, the Kshatriya original epic into, uh, into 
what we have today, a Brahmanic Krishna-based text. So Suktankar looks at the Mahabharata and he thinks that he sees that the Mahabharata has some design and some plan and you can read it as a whole, it is meaningful. But on the other hand, he has to defend the Mahabharata against the charges that the Mahabharata is a chaotic book into which anybody could have interpolated anything at all. So uh, theories were floating around about how certain portions, especially the Krishna Bhakti portions were written into the Mahabharata having taken them from the Puranas. So at, in the face of this so-called perverse science, a science that is iconoclastic, smashing the symbols of value of another culture, also known as a vandalism, also known as rape and pillage, which is what this uh, uh, science was, Suktankar stood up and he said, let me show them uh, what the Mahabharata is. And by noting the different significant variations as if they were markers of the gene code of Mahabharata, he was able to genealogically reconstruct that ancestor from which all other manuscripts were derived. And guess what? Once he created the archetype of this manuscript, it contained everything. It contained Krishna. It contained Dharma. It contained the battle scenes, but the battle scenes contained even more dharma interspersed in it. So we can no longer call the Mahabharata a, a chaotic text, a, 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 a bulged, swollen up, meaningless text into which things were added. Okay, so now you have the ability to read the Mahabharata as a whole without any doubts. Pious people might read their family Mahabharata book. Telugu people might be reading Andhra Mahabharata uh, Some may be reading Nilakantha edition, uh, the, which is called the Vulgate. Uh, and that is all right. But those editions will not tell you which ones were slightly later editions than the other ones. So if you want to have a baseline text, the critical edition is the best. Out of uh, now, how much did the critical edition bring up as the archetype? You'll be surprised, quite a lot about 75,000 verses of the Mahabharata are now part of this archetype. Let us imagine that we now lose all these manuscripts. They're probably already lost because I tried to go to Bori and ask them, but you know, Bori is run like a, like a private club. 
and they're sitting on all the manuscripts, no one digitizes them. Let's just say they lose the whole thing. What Suktankar has done is preserved every single variation. So if you digitize the whole thing, you take the critical edition archetype and say, modify with editions from T for Telugu. The computer can go and create the entire Telugu Mahabharata and print it out for you. Every single Mahabharata is preserved. It is preserved how? With an archetype with variations given below the line. What a magnificent intellectual enterprise this is. I would like to now move on to Suktankar's own words and share something he has written, which is uh, very dear to me. So uh, please, uh, I hope no one is saying anything in the chats because I'm so focused on this, I'm not looking at the chats. All right, Suktankar writes, the epic poets we find are using every means in their power to expound, illustrate, and popularize what we may call for what we might for short call the philosophy of the self, Atma Vidya, a lofty philosophy of ethical autonomy, karma, unparalleled for its boldness and comprehensiveness, and to convey their message of moral duty and hope, hope. Where is hope coming in? As moksha, as Saguna Brahman, Krishna Vasudeva. With emphasis on the application of these principles of dharma and moksha to the problem of daily life. When we realize these facts, questions as to the historicity of the polyandrous marriage of Draupadi or the precise ethnic affinities of the Pandavas, meaning are they Aryans, are they Dravidians, are they hill people, was there an Aryan migration, etc. So these questions, or even the exact date of Mahabharata war, or, or questions of the origin and development of the epic, these and other favorite topics of academic wrangling lose some of their glamour and cease to engross us. What remains? Only the Akhyana, only the storytelling, only the undivided heartbeat of the Hindus, which goes on pumping Mahabharata blood generation after generation. I saw in the biographies of most of you, you heard these stories from your grandmother or your grandparents. The institution of grandmothers being your Mahabharata professors uh, all through generations of Indian history is a far more concrete, far more personal university 
that, that has ever existed in the world. Nowhere else in the world are the subject matters of narratology, literature, poetry, poetic imagery, ethics, values, all the subjects of the humanities have been transmitted knowingly or unknowingly from grandmother to the gen next generation. It is the mo it's not just a book, it's an institution. It is a civilization creating, civilization maintaining, civilization perfecting institution. Mahabharata may have a long history, but we are more interested in its future. So this mighty work, which is primarily concerned with the finding the solution to the problem of evil, meaning dharma and adharma in life, nay to the problem of existence itself, that is, this is pravritti dharma or dharma of that you use in everyday life and this is nivritti dharma or the dharma of renunciation now something that you authors have brought up uh, and what you have done reminded me of the next quotation from uh, suktankar on account of the rapidly shifting planes of perspective of the vast canvas on which the epic poets operate in developing a three-dimensional theme. What is the three-dimensional theme the Mahabharata poet is doing? Uh, Bautika, just a story, just a historical story. Adhidaivika, Adhidaivika or if you want to make it a derivative, that level is the dharma level, the story on an ethical plane, and adhyatmika, the story on a philosophical plane of uh, understanding Brahman. So because the Mahabharata is uh, painting on a canvas in these three dimensions, the construction of the story has become complex naturally, and its form has given rise in modern times to many amusing misconceptions and to some grotesque theories. And here is the kind of uh, uh, deep rishi that Suktankar is, and I would urge you to listen to this line and take it to heart. But I can assure that there is no serious contradiction or inconsistency in the Mahabharata, as you may have been led to believe from a cursory perusal uh, of it. Wait, 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 where did I jump? Okay. I hope I have succeeded in showing you that the Mahabharata, which may have started as an epic, has certainly not ended up in becoming a chaos as Oldenburg imagined. And Oldenburg is just one of the many. Uh, it, would be a, it would be a pardonable hyperbole to say that it has ended in becoming the Hindu cosmos. 
So uh, I just wanted to, I have some comments on the, uh, the different books that uh, stories that you have written, uh, but let me see. Uh, we are going to. So uh, Abhinav or, uh, or Yogini, do you want me to talk about the book or is someone else going to talk about the book? That was my spiel about how important the, the narrative storytelling uh, project is. So, Professor Adluri, I, uh, I I think I speak for a lot of us when I when I say that I have goosebumps listening. You describe the stupendous work of Sukhankar in collecting these hundreds of manuscripts together, and we are talking about a time when none of these uh, electronic apparatus existed to make easy some of this work, and. Uh, I think for people uh, who want to get a glimpse into, into the mind that uh, Sukhankar was, I would recommend they read his book on the meaning of the Mahabharata. Absolutely. It's an ex excellent, outstanding book on the meaning of the Mahabharata. It's available from Motilal Banarsi Das, but I have a PDF of it. So anybody who's interested, just uh, email me and uh, I will be happy to send it to you. And people should also know that this book is now out of copyright. So, uh, you know, electronic versions are available as, Prof as Professor Adluri said, I think if you go to archive.org, you can also get a copy. Uh, or if you prefer the physical paper version, uh, you, you can buy it from Motilal Banarsidas. And uh, I would definitely recommend people read the first chapter itself, which is a, uh, you know, an expose of sorts of the kind of approaches that these scholars brought. And we would love to hear you talk more about this, but I will uh, hand, I, I'll let, uh, you know, Sai uh, uh, make a call on how uh, uh, she wants to uh, take this. Uh, thank you, Abhinav and uh, Vishwagaru. I agree with Abhinav and uh, I am sure everybody agrees with me that we literally felt uh, goosebumps uh, hearing about the, listening to the journey of uh, Sukhankarji in uh, uh, compiling this critical edition, I would also like to add that the whole uh, quantitative study that I made of Kurukshetra was based on the critical edition translated by Dr. Debroy. Uh, you know, I just kept referring to his translation and kept on recording each of the confrontations in an Excel sheet and uh, we could record about uh, 466 confrontations that happened on in during the battle of uh, Kurukshetra uh, throughout those 18 days. So that is the level of detail captured in the uh, critical edition. And the nature of this Kurukshetra war is like the detail keeps on unfolding as the war progresses. Yes. And uh, you know, then by the time we reach the day 12, 13, 14, uh, the desperation is so evident in each warrior. Uh, it cannot get more real than that. I mean, you know, it is not just real. It is in a way it is hyper real. It, there is a kind of a magical realism to it. Uh, it's like almost an experience machine you step into and the things keep 
uh, changing. Just you, 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 you look in one side, uh, you see action, but on the other side, you see Krishna smiling. And then you look back again, again at the action and the action has transformed itself into something new. Uh, in a way, the, the world in the Mahabharata is much more alive than the life outside Mahabharata. It, it, it is uh, the, the light inside the Mahabharata is somehow brighter. Uh, and that which is true, that which is good, that which is beautiful shines so much uh, better in, inside the text than outside it. Not agree more with you. The Mahabharata is <laughs> yeah, than reality itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course it is. Uh, for the sake of this book, so many people lived and they found meaning in their external lives because of this book. I'm included in that. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, Saiji, do you want me to make a few comments about the book itself? Yes, we would love it because all the writers are waiting with bated breath to hear okay. what you think about uh, our stories. Uh, okay. It has been, uh, I know we cannot uh, even dream of claiming we have V.S. Uptankarji's passion or even your passion, but uh, this whole team was united, uh, you know, because all of us are passionate about Mahabharata. All of us, each of us have a area of interest which connects us very deeply to the Mahabharata. So we would love to hear uh, what you think about the book. Yeah, great. It is a great book. And I absolutely loved it. It was, a, uh, it was, I read it twice. Once was a fast read because it was so enjoyable. I didn't want to make any notes or notice anything. Uh, I just wanted to kept uh, going. Uh, the first story, The Fall of the First Sun by Bharati Venkat, describes the battle of, of uh, Iravan, uh, who, who battled the Avanti princes, uh, Vinda and Anuvinda, as uh, Saiji already told you, uh, Shakuni and the Gandhara princes, and finally Alambusha on the eighth day. He is uh, killed by the Rakshasa, uh, Iravan, but avenged by Ghatotkacha. Now, this story, again, as I said, uh, is forgotten in the larger Mahabharata community, but uh, the, the Tamil Draupadi tradition uh, really, really loves Iravan. And uh, even though it is in Tamil Nadu, uh, the head of Iravan, uh, or also known as Kutantavar, is mounted on a chariot. Uh, the head is also turned towards Kurukshetra, and an entire uh, recitation of the Mahabharata takes place uh, during his uh, during this festival. Many, uh, uh, sorry, uh, many stories have been added to his story. For example, the fact that he did not want to sacrifice himself not without being married and nobody wanted to marry a hero who was about to be sacrificed. So Krishna in the form of Mohini uh, married 
uh, Iravan. Uh, so to get to marry Krishna is of course the highest possible honor uh, in this universe. So uh, Iravan is great for that. And this story gave me a kind of a, I only knew the, the, the great Iravan of the, of the Draupadi uh, Amma festivals. So, so this was, this humanized that hero uh, in a very beautiful way. Ranjit Radhakrishnan's Shakuni, the dice of death, uh, was deeply, deeply psychological. Uh, I just love the way that most of the action is in Shakuni's mind as a series of reflections on Vidura, Krishna, and Draupadi, who in turn reflect Shakuni's own hubris, confusion, and doom. I must say that uh, <laughs> the way uh, Ranjit Ji talks about uh, how uh, Shakuni plays, tries, tries to game Krishna and the way Krishna escapes uh, Vidura, not only Shakuni's gaming, but also gets Shakuni caught in his own game is just, uh, it was a pleasure for me. And it, it, it and Ranjit reminded me of Krishna's um, cleverness uh, throughout the Mahabharata. I don't know about two, but I, I think three uh, stories hover around the Saindhava king. Uh, the Invincible by Rupal Vaish is the story of Jayadratha, whose story is usually told from the perspective of Abhimanyu, who is killed in the Chakravyuha, or from the perspective of Arjuna, who vows to kill Jayadratha and keep his word. The character of Jayadratha is complex. He's full of wit and reason, uh, almost likable, but also very chilling. Abhyuda Kiranhadal beautifully brings the narrative to a close in his contribution, The Killing of Jayadratha. Again, without going directly to the actual act of killing. He only comes to it towards the end of the story. Although the story is a well-known narrative of the affairs of men, it's all a macho business, right? Battle, oaths, vengeance. Hadal focuses on Jayadratha's wife and Duryodhana's sister, Dushala. Her inevitable widowhood forms a tender counterpart to the thoroughly detestable Jayadratha. But even the popular events following Arjuna's vow to kill, Jayadra, kill Jayadratha is interlaced by other characters who intervene in unexpected and delightful ways. In the day of the great oath, Mission Jayadratha, Pranshu Saxena narrates the events of the 14th day from Yudhama News perspective, along with recounting glorious deeds Yudhamanyu reveals flashes of humor, and he even has Bhima la laughing heartily in a joke that was completely believable uh, and uh, keeping in uh, cogent with what I imagine Bhima to be. 
All right. Indra among Rakshasas by Siddharth Balaji narrates the valor of Ghatotkacha, the son of Bhima and Hidimba. His moment in the last day, his moment of glory comes on the 14th day. I think the entire book revolves around the 14th day uh, in one way or another. And that, but what I liked about Siddharth, Siddharthji's uh, uh, tale is the way he uses like a mantra, did I fail you? Did I fail our cause? I am so proud to be your son. Uh, is is extreme first by the author. The author has it as a as a as an ep, epigram epilogue, and then he also has it uh, has these words uh, repeated by Anjana Parva and finally Ghatotkacha. I cannot, I mean, it is very sad. We forget that wars are about fathers and sons, mainly the men who are fighting on the battlefield. And it was just too much to, um, uh, to bear if it were not for the art of poetry and narrative and storytelling, this would break our hearts. And we, we feel that this Rakshasa, Ghatotkacha, is more human and more vulnerable than human beings himself. And, I, and the bringing in of Hidimba was just wonderful because remember Hidimba too was more human than, uh, than human and certainly not a Rakshasi. Although that's what, who she was by birth, uh, she falls in love with Bhimasena. She goes to Kunti and Yudhishthira, makes sure she gets Bhimasena, carries Bhimasena on her hip, get, enjoys him, gives him a son, uh, and that son will play a decisive role in, uh, in the lives, in saving the lives of Arjuna and consequently the other Pandavas. It's a good story. Uh, the story of Bhagadatta, I mean, <laughs> by now you all kind of know this is, uh, this is from Lord, this is, this story is, I think, a, off a piece from the uh, Lord of the Rings or Lord of the Rings or uh, Lord of the Ring. And also there was some other movie I saw this and this sort of Asuric demonic king uh, mounted on a, a, a gigantic elephant, which looks more primitive and uh, science science fictiony than uh, any ordinary elephant. So the story about Bhagadatta, the warrior king by Deepak, was very very nice. It's a very important story because it contains uh, the impaling of uh, Krishna Vasudeva by the Vaishnava Astra that he had, uh, that Naraka had obtained and given to his son Bhagadatta. 
Uh, the story is really beautiful. The Mahabharata itself focuses on the turban and the uh, and the eyes that fall down and so on. Uh, but this narrative almost uh, fills in the blanks and makes it makes the Bhagavata story uh, come alive. I had forgotten um, that Arjuna does get down from his chariot and circumambulates the fallen Bhagadatta. Uh, I, had, I, had, I had to go back and look and say, really? And yes, it's true. Um, it, that was a wonderful uh, nuance added to the story by Vyasa and Deepakji picks it up and presents it very beautifully. Jeevi Shivakumar, uh, I think I gave away what I was going to say about uh, his work, Redeeming of Ghatotkacha, because he does uh, bring up Hidimba, his mother, uh, to, to sort of, uh, you know, make the whole scene very tender. And uh, I wonder what Hidimba felt when Ghatotkacha falls. Uh, and I wonder what Bhima Sena felt uh, when Ghatotkacha uh, falls. Uh, uh, unfortunately, in the Mahabharata, the focus shifts to Yudhishthira, as far as I remember. Uh, and Yudhishthira is the one doing the loudest lamentations. Uh, but, uh, but I think we don't have to be cynical about it. But um, Poor Bhima Sena. So that, that story makes you cry. Yuyutsu is an interesting character. And uh, I think Rashika Rajesh tells the story with nuance and innovation uh, in the under the title The Righteous Traitor. Yuyutsu is important because his name means he who is uh, eager to fight. So Bhagavad Gita begins uh, with uh, the line, Dharma Kshetre Kuru Kshetre Samaveta Yuyutsavaha. So the Yuyutsavahas are the fighters arrayed eager for battle. Now, Yuyutsu carries with him uh, the stigma of being born to a Vaishya maid. So, and yet he chooses Dharma and crosses over just after the Bhagavad Gita is delivered, Yuyutsu crosses over from the Kaurava side to the Pandava side. And this is perfectly reciprocal like chiasmatically reciprocal to Pandu Sankarna, who had already crossed over to the Kaurava side. And this crossover is symmetrical because uh, Yuyutsu is choosing Dharma and Karna is choosing Adharma. So the, I, the Mahabharata has all these inner harmonies, connections, parallels, echoes, uh, vibrations, and so on, uh, which hold up the universe of characters uh, very beautifully and makes the story so deep and unforgettable. Again, look at 
the parallel between Yuyutsu being born of a Vaishya maid and Vidura's birth to a maid in the previous generation when, uh, when Ambika sends her servant girl to sleep with Vyasa in the yoga and the, the Vidura, who is an incarnation of Dharma, is born. Yuyutsu is the dharmic remainder of Dhritarashtra's adharmic rule. Whereas Arjuna, overcome by Dharma Samshaya, says, Na yotsa. Yuyutsu is, on the other hand, eager to fight the battle on the side of Dharma. Uh, again, Rashika Rajesh tells the story with uh, nuance, elaborating the relationship between Yuyutsu and his mother and the blind king uh, showing that uh, the king was, uh, was, uh, was not the nicest person to his mother and yet uh, somehow inherited from his mother, no doubt, uh, he, he grows up to be a dharmic character. Uh, this is the righteous story. Now, this is where I was humbled. This was Amruta Talukdar's Pratyavindhya story. Uh, I am sorry to say that Pratyavindhya was not on my radar at all, having read the Mahabharata all this time, until your story, Amrutaji, and you really, really tell a good tale there. So. Uh, on that note of humility, I'm humbled by the creativity of all of you. Um, may God bless you and may the Mahabharata protect you through your life. I'm done. Thank you. Thank you so much for those uh, detailed, kind reviews of each uh, story, Vishwagaru. I think these are Thank moments, you. the past moments are just so memorable to all of us. We are going to cherish your words and uh, that is going to keep the lamp of Mahabharata blazing in each of us. Uh, I cannot thank you enough and I'm extremely glad that uh, the way you spoke about the book, it shows that you lived Mahabharata again. Uh, that's what you Through the had. book, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the book was really, really wonderful. It was a good read. Um, I, I like the fact that it was well edited. Uh, there were no unnecessarily flashy, complicated sentences uh, which demonstrate cleverness. Uh, there was a wisdom. And what I, what I don't have in my scholarly life is the ability to simply enjoy the Mahabharata. I always have to be fighting, fighting, fighting the wrong views on Mahabharata. So this was a like a luxury trip for me, this book. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's amazing how, how much coherence there is of cultural consciousness in each of the story. It's almost as if only one person wrote all these stories, you know, and only one person was reading it uh, as it was written because I, there was nothing to disagree. There was nothing to uh, criticize. It was just so, it was, a, it was a pleasure. 
and I thank each one of these writers. I hope they keep writing and writing and writing uh, as we go forward. Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, Vishwagaru. I also want to add that once these writers were selected uh, from the competition, it did not really uh, you know, end there for them. They attended this workshop uh, that Indica sponsored them for and again reworked their stories uh, you know, trying to improve the craft and narrative there. Yeah, and, yeah. Then... and that's the that's the important thing. I, I, I don't think anybody will write a story in the first sitting and the patience, that's the yoga here. The yoga of writing is a very good yoga and um, it, it just writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting, It's it was, it shows. I mean, they're highly polished. And also, Hari Kiranji, it's a great idea of yours. It's it. Ours is also a merit culture. We value merit in our society. So the idea of competitions, the idea of selections, the idea of putting the weight behind those who can carry this culture forward, who can bear the weight of this culture forward. Uh, the whole concept was very appealing to me in this way, that, uh, yeah. that there was a competition, that these are not, you didn't put something out there and say random, randomly, you know, send in your pub stuff and we will publish it on our platform. So that, that, that adds some value to me in my view on this. I just want to add here, that uh, uh, after this uh, phenomenal success, we are doing three more anthologies. Uh, the next anthology would be on based on Minakshi Jain's uh, book, The Flight of Pates, that's uh, being curated by Aptans Kumar. And then we have the lesser known characters of uh, Mahabharata, which is now being curated, not the Kurukshetra war, but overall Mahabharata lesser known characters. This is being curated by Aditi Banerjee, and uh, she's again selected uh, 15 uh, uh, authors. And uh, uh, we have one more being curated by Shiv Kumar, which is on Indic uh, women of uh, substance. So this is, uh, uh, this is three more anthologies are in, in the pipeline. But uh, thank you. Thank you, Vishwa. Thanks for the comments. I would like to add that there's one more coming up in Hindi. Soon we'll be having the announcement for this week for a competition for it. So the, uh, that anthology would be on Hindi uh, in Hindi language. So please look out for the uh, announcement and apply for the competition. Thank you, Vishwa. Thank you, Yogi Niji. So thanks again uh, for that, uh, for those kind reviews, uh, Vishwa Garu. Now, uh, the writers uh, would like to interact with you, ask you questions and learn from you. Uh, so with your permission, uh, can I uh, open the floor for some questions? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Along with them, I'm also sitting at Vyasa's feet. So we are all classmates here, sure. <laughs> Yes, I particularly like that comment in one of your webinars where uh, you lost trust in all those interlogist professors and you said uh, you decided to throw out, throw them out and bring in Veda Vyasa who, and there cannot be a better guru than Veda Vyasa himself. No, there cannot be. There cannot be a better guru than Veda Vyasa. 
think about it, he gave us the Bhagavad Gita and not just the Mahabharata, but the Bhagavad Gita is for all of us, practically speaking, the scripture. Uh, and if you look at it, he, you will say, oh yeah, but there is also the Upanishads, but then Upanishads are Veda and he's the one who compiled the Veda. So uh, without, Hinduism is Vyasism. <laughs> and if we, if we don't want to call ourselves uh, Hindus, we can call ourselves Vyasids. We are Vyasids. We should be privileged to, that's yeah. a privilege to be, yeah. uh, you know, at the feet of Veda Vyasa. And if I can quote uh, our uh, Vamadeva Shastriji here, who also goes by uh, David Frawley. Uh, mm -hmm. I know him. He says, uh, you know, because the West thinks about a lot of these isms as some, uh, you know, maybe Marxism or whatever uh, isms that have come up in the late 20th century, the West thinks they are some inventions, but each of these isms can sit in some small corner of Veda Vyasa's mind. You know, the, his uh, mind is that in inclusive. That was uh, the opinion on Veda Vyasa's, uh, you know, basically universal uh, uh, philosophy. So thank you so much. And uh, the first question would be asked by Bharati. Uh, Bharati, uh, she wrote the uh, story on uh, Airavan. So, Bharti, unmute yourself and uh, please go ahead. First of all, thank you, Dr. Adhuri, for your kind words. That was a privilege. So, my question is, if we separate the religion factor from the Mahabharata, what in your view would be the single most important reason for its timelessness and relevance to the ages? I, first of all, there is no word for religion in Sanskrit. At most, you can call it matam. And so if you take out the Vaishnava matam, there is still the Saguna Brahman and the axis of dharma in its nivriti dharma and pravriti dharma forms. Uh, just as there is Ishvara in the universe, there is Vyasa in the text. He's everywhere. He appears selectively <laughs> to some people at critical moments and disappears. So that separation itself is problematic. But I think what is enduring about the Mahabharata is the fact that it most resembles our lived life outside. No other text is able to absorb not just the material uh, characters and uh, relationships, but also imaginations, hopes, possibilities, fantasies that make our life out here livable. Even those are transmuted into the text. So the text will remain as long as there are human beings because it is a mirror to who we are. It was a mirror also to those who removed Krishna Vasudeva from the text, i.e. the Germans, and what they saw in the text uh, was just a horrific war. And uh, Coincidentally, look what happened in Germany and in Europe at the summit of the, that episteme. 
So uh, to make to give you a precise answer, uh, the as long as there is life, there is the text. The Mahabharata tale is there because life itself is a story, and the Mahabharata is the story of all stories. Thank you, sir. No problem. Rupal. Yes. Uh, next uh, question is from Rupal, uh, who wrote the story of Jayadrata, the Invincible. Yeah. Okay. My question is about the textual historical method that you have uh, talked about in your May Sciences. And um, uh, has it changed the scenario, do you think, now? Uh, and what its impact has been on India? And if it has changed, then how is it changing the uh, how academics view Mahabharata in India. That is what I'm basically concerned about because mostly we hear about it like it being dismissed as just a story as the Germans right. actually made it out to be. Right. Has it, it, it has changed on an academic level for the worse after independence and just before independence, because we were a colony of Europe, of the United Kingdom. And uh, there is a feature whereby the most intellectual people of a, of a dominated culture begin imitating that culture, uh, the culture of the oppressor. Some of this has happened in India and uh, our intellectuals have bought the portion that his history is a true story, whereas uh, myth is a false story. But fortunately, this has remained only in that privileged academic class of like JNU people. Uh, it can, it has not percolated to the grandmothers and the the true recipients of Vyasa, and it can never go away. It can never go away. But even at the academic level, with Suktankar creating the critical edition, it more or less ends the uh, the the many crazy things people say about the Mahabharata. For example, uh, there was an interview in which Romila Thapar said that, you know, Mahabharata was composed over a thousand years. Now, Suktankar has clearly shown that that's not the case. So in a way, um, uh, Suktankar himself says that these people are becoming historical that these academics who raised questions against the Mahabharata, trying to dismantle it, deconstruct it, they have become history and the text itself is living, burgeoning, pulsating and marching on. So that's my answer. Thank you. Uh, next is uh, Siddharth Balaji, who wrote that uh, story on uh, Ghatot Kacha, uh, which you liked a lot. Uh, namaste, Dr. Adhul. Uh, namaste, Ji. It's an amazing privilege and honor to interact uh, come, with you. Come. And 
thank you for your kind words on all of mm-hmm. our stories mm-hmm. my question is a kind of a follow up to what rupal ji had asked um like you had mentioned in your opening remarks the tradition of grandparents and parents reciting the mahabharata to their children and to teaching them about it that's uh, in today's india that's that's the only thing that's keeping the text alive because in today's age most of it is um, a colonial outlook on the mahabharata and um, i think finally even one question here has popped up on the zoom the interview right the discussion right now whether it's a reality or it's a it's a fiction is mahabharata so that all, the question always that everyone seems to focus on is the historicity aspect is there mm-hmm. anything we as uh, sort of laymen in this mahabharata knowledge in this sphere is there anything we could do to sort of change the perspective on this slowly that instead of focusing only on the historicity can we f- show people that there's more to it is there any way we could change it yes obviously absolutely first of all please don't be so pessimistic i mean there was the durdarshan mahabharata which was very good uh, and it did not take up historicizing perspectives and uh, we should not we should try to be good at what we are good at not try to be good at something else right so the paradharma bhayavaha so <laughs> the paradharma here is that historical uh, explanation and your dharma is to do exactly what you're saying these stories these are um, uh, amazingly amachitra katha has actual quotations from the mahabharata itself from the sanskrit mahabharata so this has been going on and it will go on because you young uh, writers upcoming and have just come up should i say not upcoming but have just come up already uh, ha- are contributing to that there is a reason why you wrote the story and didn't do something historic so Vivekananda once went to Kashmir to a temple called Sri Bhavani Mandir. It was completely destroyed by vandals and Vivekananda got really upset, angry, tears in his eyes and he shouted, "Oh mother, if I were here, I would have fought on your behalf. I would have protected you." and the icon of shri bhavani spoke and said who protects who vyasa has been protecting us mahabharata has been protecting us not the other way and when the time comes as we did with suktankar mahabharata renews herself this is the freshest story <laughs> and uh cutting edge uh of material here so i would not be as pessimistic but what you should do is keep writing keep talking keep thinking keep writing keep talking uh, uh connecting uh events in our everyday life to the mahabharata showing how uh the mahabharata is uh something which explains uh 
what human beings are and why they do what they do. Right. Uh, thank you, Vishwagaru. That uh, point was something which I always believed that uh, Mahabharata would find herself another uh, very competent writer when she wills it. Yeah, yeah. Even if yeah, even if humanity were wiped out, I'm sure the Mahabharata will not be wiped out. That's that's something to cling on to. That's a great hope to cling on to. Uh, so yeah. the next question would be from Shivkumar Jeevi. Ah, my Bengaluru man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Namaste, Dr. Vishwa. I think it's such a great pleasure uh, talking to you. You know, having read uh, your books, the kind of light that it throws on Mahabharata, it gives us new equipment to... Uh, you know, look at it and write differently. My question to you is, uh, what was your aha moment in Mahabharata? You know, what was that moment that gave you the integ that where the integrity of Mahabharata became very evident, where, you know, you took a significant, you know, bend in the journey with respect to Mahabharata and, you know, because the because knowledge always, it's not linear. It comes, you're progressing in a direction, but at one stage, it explodes. Yeah. I mean, there are, of course, deep answers I can give. For example, my karma, my vasanas, my, what my purva janma sukriti, my gurus and what they have blessed me and Ishwaranugraha. So all those are there. But for now, I would like to tell a story myself. It's a true, I mean, it's a story of what happened. So I was reading the, I mean, for me, my Hindu praxis was in its place. So from childhood, I would go to temples. I would, you know, I would, my family was secular, but I was weird. So I would go to temples. I would talk to other people in temples. I would, I, I mean, uh, finding a co-bhakta was, was a great, uh, great thing. And uh, uh, I had that experiential fervor. But I never thought that that would be a part of academics at all. So first I studied Homer and I wanted to, I was dissatisfied with the historicizing interpretations of Homer that I found in my Western academic colleagues. So I, uh, I decided to try a totally new approach is to relate the ancients to ancients rather than ancients to modern Europeans. So I went there and I was reading the Mahabharata and stuff. It was very interesting, snakes, snake sacrifice, takshaka and so on. But remember in the second uh, Parvan, Paushya Parvan, the second mini Parvan, Paushya Parvan, Upa Parvan, if you want to call it, uh, Utanka is bringing earrings that were stolen by Takshaka. And Utanka is trying to get them back. And on this journey, he meets a big man on a big horse. 
and the man says, blow into this horse's ass. I could not believe I was reading this in a scripture. <laughs> uh, blow into the horse's ass. So I was a mixed, first of all, I thought it was funny. Second, I thought it was, it was too close to the, you know, the sort of National Geographic primitive uh, descriptions. And then uh, I could not get that out of my head. I mean, come on, you read that somebody say, seriously, blow into this horse's ass. And it's an image that doesn't go out of your head. I'm sorry, I'm sensitive. And then <laughs> uh, I read some more. And Utanka goes to his teacher and says, what was that? Explain it to me. And his teacher explains it. And he says, the horse was the sacrificial fire to which you gave your pranas. I be, remember hair standing on, my, on its end. Uh, I was just amazed that behind that grotesque exterior, it was dazzling. I was hooked. I was hooked. So I wanted to read the epic according to this interpretive tool that you have to interpret the imagery and so on. And then I ran into, of course, the Western academics, because if it is only historical, there is no interpretation. It's a fact, it's a fact, it's a fact. So I that began my journey with that image. I'm sorry, it's not very, it's not very deep or anything, but uh, that's how my journey started. Very interesting. Thank you. So you're in Bengaluru? Yes. Oh, that's very nice. Next time I come, I should yeah, we um, must. meet. We must. Be. Bengaluru is, is, a, is one of my favorite cities. So. Awesome. I look forward to it. In fact, uh, at least I think five of the writers belong to Yeah, Bengaluru. I noticed five writers were from Bengaluru. Grandmothers and Bengaluru were well represented in this book. <laughs> <laughs> so Vishwagaru, we also want to know about uh, your, uh, if you are planning to bring out a uh, you know, layman's version of science and yes, philology yes. and criticism because yes. uh, uh, the content is something which must reach the masses. Okay, good. I will be happy to. Uh, I, I do not know about philology and criticism at this point, but for the nay science already, we have, uh, I, jo Professor Bagchi and I have put together a smaller book, which is almost ready for, we are looking for a publisher so that uh, we, if, if it can come out, inexpensively, uh, but with outstanding quality uh, in terms of like it is edited, there are no typos, the font is excellent, the paper is good, <laughs> those kinds of considerations, then uh, yeah, sure. Sure, and I'm also not looking for a big academic publisher because uh, my 
I already published with Oxford, Anthem, Routledge, Brill, De Gruyter. Every big publisher's name is already there. So I'm not, I don't have to play any game anymore. So academic game. So it's just a practical decision now. Sure. Uh, all the best. And uh, I think whoever is the publisher who bags it uh, has to be privileged to publish you, Vishwagaru. And we... I'm sure Hari will, be, Hari will bag it because Hari is very good at uh, look at all the people he got here <laughs> together. Done, Hari... done, done. Harry is the Harry is like the Medici's of Florence that ushered in the Renaissance. So great. <laughs> uh, does anyone else wish to speak to me? Guys, this would be a great chance to not miss. Actually, I take that Saiji take that back because any one of you please feel free to email me if you have any questions, or even if you don't have any questions and you want to talk to me for five minutes, 10 minutes, you can uh, contact me. We can Zoom and talk privately, if you will. So there's one want. question from the audience. Uh, yeah. So he, Ram S says, can Professor Adluri suggest a reading list for people not very familiar with the Mahabharata? This would be very helpful list to share with friends and family. Yeah, the first book is Suktankar's on the meaning of the Mahabharata. If you read that, everything will click together. And then proceed to the critical edition itself. And, pro and proceed to the critical edition. Uh, the the Translations-wise, uh, the Chicago translation is pretty all right. I, I saw PDFs of it floating around, so maybe you can get it and read it. It is pretty good. I also like, uh, like uh, the translation by Bibek Debroy. Unfortunately, Bibek Debroy does not give uh, uh, numbers, verse numbers. So if you're looking up at the thing, you, you there will be a problem. Also, I teach at Hindu University of America in the United States, and uh, I'm trying to put together a certificate course on the Mahabharata. So there will be eight or six, six or eight quarter semester courses, uh, which would be take you a, a year and a half to finish. And I wanted to teach in the first class, it will be uh, Adi Parvan, the first semester, and certain critical methods. And the next one will cover Vana, uh, Sabha, Vana, and Virata, and in that way. And then I will also be doing one course on the philosophy in the Mahabharata, which would be uh, Bhagavad Gita for sure, but also Narayaniya and Sanat Sujatiya and some teachings from uh, Shanti Parvan, uh, etc. So in this way, I want to create a kind of a certificate course that uh, that people can take and get certified. So if you are a teacher in a university or you're a student who's uh, wishes not to get into the whole Vedic, Sanskrit, uh, grammar thing, and you're just interested in the Mahabharata, 
that course I'm creating. I don't know when that will happen, but I'm struggling very hard to make it. But that course is something uh, which is the need of the hour and uh, we cannot think of a better person than you. Uh, to... No, it'll be Joydeep Bagchi and myself. Professor Adluri, there are a couple of questions that have come in through the chat that I don't think have been uh, asked so far. Sure. So I'll read sure. through a, a few of them. Mm-hmm. And one of them says... Uh, Raksha is here. Shall we take another shot with her in it? Sure. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's do that so that... Uh... Okay, one... Two, three. Uh, one more. Okay, let's take one more. One, okay. two, three. And I think uh, this is good. So I'll share all, uh, uh, you know, all screenshots so that uh, people can, uh, you know, select from those. Uh, so one question came from uh, from Ram, Ram Krishnan Sita Raman, who asks, is the critical Mahabharat being added to and modified with additional manuscript discoveries or has it stopped at the stage Sukhthankar left it? There are, oh dear, no. Uh, there has been, there have no new manuscripts come up, number one. So Suktankar did a pretty thorough job of getting all the manuscripts together, number one. Number two, uh, in fact, an opposite turn was taken uh, when some people suggested that we do higher criticism, meaning try to remove certain contradictions in the text to make it more clean, but that would once again be subjective and you're more you are now adding and making additions to some to the book which is not part of that traditional strict manuscript transmission so that would be a higher criticism as a form of vandalism so uh, unfortunately that was the direction uh, some people at bhandarkar uh, took this uh, thing and some people also talked about, meaninglessly talked about uh, Draupadi's disrobing and redoing the critical edition, taking into account the, uh, the Persian Mahabharata or whatever, Razanama. It, uh, all these are, uh, are, I would say, silly ideas. And so uh, Suktankar's work cannot be superseded his his critical edition is the last word on the manuscript tradition of the Mahabharata. Sita Ramji, namaste. Haven't seen you in a while. It's good. Uh, there is one more question, and Vinav, uh, can I ask one? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, go ahead, Yogini. Okay. Uh, thank you, Vishwaji, for a wonderful uh, talk. Uh, it's always a learning experience. Every time I listen to you, there's something new that I learn. Um, there is one question that is sort of, you know, um, asked many a times by the youngsters or even those who are a little um, hesitant about reading anything. Somehow Mahabharata gets related to religion, Hinduism, 
um, and uh, nationalist and nature and things like that. Politi- it gets politicized. So uh, in this technology era and uh, materialistic era, how and why should we uh, ask people to read Mahabharata? How, you know, why should we ask them? Why do you think that they should read? What is it that they, you, they would derive from it by reading it? If, if, if we have to explain this to a lay person, how can somebody like us explain it to them? First of all, we are working with a group of very dangerous dichotomous categories, such as nationalism, right? Uh, can we really have a nation or can we really have a happy citizen or a, a meaningful uh, citizen without a little bit of patriotism? So the reduction of all patriotism, the reduction of all culture, to nationalism serves very well the politicians and the academics who wish to polarize things for their profit. But for the majority of people, uh, you know, they need a little piety in their life, whatever form, Uh, even if it is Islamic piety, I'm fine with it as long as it's piety in the sense of nonviolence and love and that there are deeper uh, meanings to life and so on. The Mahabharata is a very inclusive text. It does not uh, glorify either Brahmins or Kshatriyas or anything. And whatever form you worship God in, Krishna says, is, is, is you worship being. So I, the f- external form of the Mahabharata might, have, might appear to people to be Hindu or so, but Homer is Greek pagan <laughs> and Christians have been reading Homer. Uh, th- these are again uh, ways in which what belongs to ordinary people, what belongs to uh, to grandmothers in the privacy of their homes out of love for their grandchildren. You know, toothless grandmothers telling the story of Kartotkacha to their uh, kids. Do you not see the violence academics and politicians are perpetrating when they politicize this Mahabharata and reduce it to uh, a, 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 a bitch fight among themselves, you know, and nothing more. So, uh, the, again, returning to this this venue, the unsung valor and the efforts of Harikiran and, and with the Advaita Academy, Indic Academy, and so on, uh, show that um, show that it is legitimate for all of us to be who we are. It one does not have to make excuses for why one should read or should not read. Mahabharata. If somebody prefers to read the Ramayana, let them read the Ramayana. So in my mind, maybe I'm a little naive, but in my mind, politics is politics, right? Uh, But people's lives are people's lives. and, And the Mahabharata is meant to enrich the lives of people. And I just hope that politicians on 
all sides of the spectrum. And I hope academics recognize that the, the Mahabharata is the patrimony. It is the inheritance. It is the right of every Indian, irrespective of their religion, caste, culture, job, whatever. And every Indian should step up to claim Vyasa's patrimony, I think. Thank you. Uh, Ab Abhinavji, you said there was a question in the chat. Correct. There are a couple of uh, them that uh, uh, one is from Pingaliji, and he mm -hmm. asks, how does one differentiate between a good translation and a bad translation of our Itihasas? So people propagate their own interpretations, and, and these kinds of you know, interpretations amount to violence. Correct. And uh, in the case of the Mahabharata, fortunately, <laughs> Vyasa is so clever that even very programmatic interpretations do not violate the text. So as far as Mahabharata is concerned, uh, any edition will do. The, if you're reading the critical edition, I, I myself use the, uh, the Chicago edition which I, as I said, is floating around on the web somewhere, the PDF, Mahabharata translate. And of course, there are many volumes to this. So there is that. There is MN Dutt translation from uh, uh, Parimal Public Publishers, which is this. Unfortunately, this is not, uh, not the critical edition, but you can read this it has the Sanskrit verses and the entire Mahabharata critical edition, uh, Mula Partha is found on uh, uh, Smith uh, website, which I will share with you now. So you will know how to look that up. So. So if you Google uh, Smith Mahabharata, uh, there is Mahabharata Indology. Uh, so you, you go to that website and you can access the electronic texts in this way. So you can go to the Adi Parvan and you can get it either in Devanagari, but you can also get the whole thing also in Roman. Uh, which would look like this. So here it begins. Adi Parvan one one zero is the is the Mangala, which does not have a verse number. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Narutamam. And then in so all these files are there. So if you are following the the non critical edition verse, you can always refer to this to see if it is there or not in in that one. The other advantage is that if I want to do a word search, uh, these are word searchable. Uh, so if I want to do um, a word search for Arjuna, so uh, you see all the 
locations for that. So I recommend uh, that as well for that reason. Uh, but the most beautiful and elegant translation is Ganguly's translation. It is also not the critical edition, but it reads beautifully. Could we hold on for one second? The audience can start uh, typing in questions they have for the writers as well. We'd be really happy to take them uh, once we open up the floor for questions. So I have uh, some questions for uh, the writers. Uh, can you talk about uh, approximately you know, how much time it took for you to write the story and uh, what were your, uh, you know, uh, what led you to select that uh, particular character on which you wanted to write a story? How did you, you know, uh, do your reading research and, and what kind of you know, approach did you take to each of the stories, right? So I think uh, once we, uh, we uh, let us all, uh, you know, uh, pass uh, a round of introduction come, uh, you know, let each of the writers answer the question by Abhinav. Uh, it would uh, be something very interesting to listen from each of the writers uh, perspective. Uh, so what say Abhinav? Sure. So Bharati, if we can... I think uh, everybody can uh, unmute and uh, I mean, uh, show the, uh, uh, the videos also so that we can all see. It'll be faster. Sure. Bharati, we can start with you. Yeah. So let me start with a thank you to Sai. It's an honor to be here today and talk about Unsung Valor, of course. So this book gave me the perfect opportunity to combine two of my favorite pastimes, storytelling and talking about the Mahabharata, mainly the lesser known stories. So... My introduction to the epics happened earlier in life, thanks to my father. But when I started reading different versions, that was a different experience. One of my earliest projects, my line of work is writing. So one of my earliest projects was to rewrite the Ramayana in short chapter format for NRI kids. So when I was reading different uh, later recountings of the Ramayana for that project, I found that each of them, uh, be it Ramayana or Mahabharata, uh, each of it came with, with uh, its own skew. So with the Mahabharata, this, the fallout of this is that many new readers who are maybe unaware of KMG or Bori, they just reduce the epic to a mere war. They don't understand the gravity of the war. And many of the, most of the characters are reduced to Marvel movie type heroes and villains. So this is a real pity because the Mahabharata is a treatise on life itself. And every single character has a solid message to give, or many messages, in fact. And much of this is missed out. End. So for me, this book uh, was this brilliant opportunity to look in depth into some lesson-known characters, what governed their actions and thoughts, why did they do what they did, and uh, something like that. 
So for me, it was a chance to pay tribute to a very deserving hero, Iravan, Ulupi and Arjuna's son, and also the first of the Pandava sons to actually give up his life at Kurukshetra. So Iravan could have just waited until the war was done after Hastinapur had been won, and then he could have pledged his allegiance to his father. But he chose not to be a spectator. He shouldered his responsibility towards Dharma. And he actually contributed significantly to the Pandava cause before giving up his life, battling quite enormous odds. So Niravan is just one of many heroes and heroines in the Mahabharata who helped knit the fabric of Dharma back together. So uh, through my stories or blog posts or my Twitter and Insta feed, my small attempt has always been and will be hopefully in the future to tell the stories of these heroes to the larger audience to hopefully entice new readers of the Mahabharata into looking beyond the obvious, to look not look at it superficially when they read the epic, and of course to learn more myself also with each and every attempt. That's it from my side. I have a comment to make, and I meant to show this to you all. Uh, so let me go. There is a technical term in classics, like Homer scholarship called, and the word is Aristeia. Aristeia means the shining moment, the best moment, the moment a warrior prepares his whole life for, uh, which you have all noticed this moment when an unsung hero comes into the light and that is his main moment. So uh, stage one, God inspires a warrior, armor is mentioned, there's expression of enthusiasm, the hero advances, and then a killing streak begins. So here, 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 here. So this is not something that is just uh, Vyasa is just making up. This is a kind of a, a, a storytelling tactic that is well grounded in epics. So finally, uh, in stage six, after winning many ba minor battles and uh, facing many dangers, the hero himself is wounded. Then begins the hero's second uh, round where the hero uh, uh, kills even more people. And then there is an ultimate triumph, but that ultimate triumph need not be uh, a, a victory which is optimistic, the hero may even die. But having the Aristeia, he attains what Krishna calls Kirti, or of undying fame. And because that fame is undying, he gets Swarga Loka, or uh, a kind of heaven. So I just wanted to share that because that seemed to me an important theme connecting all your stories. Uh, I was uh, thinking about that, that Aristea motif, and all of you responded well to it and exploited it uh, effectively to make your narrative move. 
but your narrative is moving because there is such a thing as the Aristea narratives, which is the common motif in the hero stories. Thank you. That was a wonderful uh, snippet. I think I'm going to, uh, I've just taken the screenshot as you're <laughs> explaining it, uh, Vishwaji. So we will be putting that to a lot of use in our future write writings. Okay. All right. Uh, we can move to Ranjit's uh, introduction to his story. And uh... Yeah. Uh, namaste, everybody. Um, the whole process of the story started with uh, Sai Swarupaji with her tweets um, on the Mahabharata uh, battle uh, statistics that she was doing. And this was going on over a period of time. And there were a couple of instances where she had stopped. And I remember pestering her to continue. I hope she forgives me for that. Uh, so when this was announced, uh, I, I wasn't all that keen to, uh, you know, participate. I thought, okay, uh, there would be better writers. I've always been told that I write pretty well, but uh, one of my uh, superpowers is being uh, self-critical about my writing abilities. So that, so that held me back. Uh, so I did what almost every other Indian man does when he's faced with a quandary like this. I wrote the story and showed it to my mother. Uh, <laughs> so she was the one who told me, to, yes, that you have to mail it in and then we'll see what happens. Uh, so I was very pleasantly surprised when she chose the story. And my first consideration for choosing a character was I wanted to choose somebody different, somebody who I thought nobody else would choose. And Shakuni looked like a good option. I didn't think too many people would want to write about a person who's perceived as very devious and one of the evil uh, four in the Mahabharata as Vyasa puts it. Uh, we were all given a brief that we were supposed to talk about what happened on a particular day in the battle from dawn to dusk and the uh, warrior's mentality and his thoughts before it. So I was looking for a way to bring the entire character of uh, Shakuni out during what happens on that one day. Uh, I wanted to posit Shakuni versus Krishna. Yeah, that, was, to... uh, that was amazing that the putting Krishna and Shakuni uh, like that. It's very obvious, but I've never seen it done before. It's very obvious because Krishna is the counselor for the Pandavas and Shakuni is the counselor for the Kauravas. But uh, the, you brought them together. And uh, when I was reading it, I felt, um, oh, this is very interesting. I, I, I can't believe I missed it. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Thank Sorry you. to interrupt you. Thank you. <laughs> I no. couldn't contain my praise. Sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, it it was a it, it was a surprise to me that you know Shakuni did survive up to the 18th day. You find mentions of him. You don't find a battle scene constructed around him, but you always find him in the periphery. He's always there supporting some other warrior, or he's there being beaten and retreating and coming back. Shakuni died on the 18th day. So he was not one of those guys who were, you know, backroom manipulator who preferred to be, you know, behind the action, the power behind the throne, but didn't really have the guts when it comes to facing his enemies. Uh, I needed to bring this facet out of uh, Shakuni. I needed to present to the world that not only was this man a very brilliant manipulator or a very good reader of people's minds, 
and uh, he could also you know uh, uh, get into the van of the battle when it was required he could do what was asked of him that he was a warrior of no ill repute i also wanted to bring in his thoughts on the rest of the characters in the mahabharat and also somehow bring to life the the guilt that he somewhere ha- uh, he would have and i try to personify draupadi as his guilt uh, which is why i uh, i made him a, a her a phantom that appears only to his eyes and nobody else's uh, so his his two his two main rivals in, in my story are sri krishna who one and the other krishna that is draupadi and how the two of them work their magic around shakuni on that one particular day to save sahadeva and to remind him of what his uh, end is going to be so this is this was my interpretation of shakuni for that one day of battle uh, thank you to sai suraji and indic academy for accepting it very very happy to be here and it was mesmerizing listening to you sir thank you so much rupal ah uh, yeah so namaste everyone uh i'm rupal and uh, i wrote a story the invincible that's the third story of the anthology and um uh i began writing i don't know i mean i don't remember a time when i did not write it was mainly for myself pleasing myself i've been writing since i was a kid uh everything was ridiculous of course uh but more than that i was a reader because uh i feel that you know if you do not read you will probably not be able to write also and i could read just about anything like anything under the sun it just had to be a book and i could read it and um, my introduction to mahabharat comparatively uh, came very late i mean i was always aware of it i don't think there is an indian who does not know about mahabharat thanks to popular culture but then my knowledge of mahabharat was also pretty limited to that uh it was just by chance because like i was so confused looking at so many versions of it and i was like not everything can be mahabharat you cannot take five totally disparate versions of the same story and label everything as mahabharat so uh i came across the kishori mohan ganguly's uh translation of the anabrish mahabharat uh the link to it and uh, it was fascinating it's it was an eye opening experience and the wonder of it that you know you're reading the epic which was composed centuries ago by vyas and i cannot describe the feeling i just went through it it took a while but it was amazing it was a journey and it ultimately became a journey of self discovery like as i was discovering the mahabharat i was also discovering myself so many things it was an amazing journey and um, as for my story in the anthology on jadrath uh, when i was going through the challenge uh, the indic challenge uh, based on uh, swaisarupa ji's um, analysis of the war uh, so there was this one line on jadrath the 13th day war the day abhimanyu was killed uh in the chakravyuh devised by dronacharya and it occurred to me that you know i have never really uh thought about it and everyone describes this one day which actually changed the tone of the war 
which became a dis- the most decisive point of the war. Uh, and the only thing that we talk about is either the death of Abhimanyu or how Abhimanyu died. And then we just say that, you know, Arjun was taken far away with a ruse and Jadrat stopped everyone from following Abhimanyu inside. And I was like, that cannot be it. It has to be more than that. It has to be something. How can just one warrior uh, stop everyone from entering uh, Chakraview after Abhimanyu and it's just reduced to one line. And I went back to Mahabharat. I read about that entire war again. And I was like, wow, this is something that I should be writing about. And uh, that's why I picked Jaidrak. But then one of the challenges of uh, writing from the point of view of an antagonist is that uh, you cannot simply whitewash his character to, you know, uh, make him more sympathetic to the reader and kind of just brush away all his sins and whatever he did, because that would be like going against the flow of the story itself, going against the flow of dharma. And I did not want to do that. So that was one challenge. I did not want to take away from the fact that he was a scoundrel, a very brave scoundrel, but still a scoundrel. And I did not want to take away from the grayness of the character. And um, so that's how I wrote the story on Jadrath. And I had fun writing it, basically. I enjoyed writing the story. And I wish the readers also have fun reading it. And that's it from my side. Thank you so much, Sai Swarupa, Indic Academy, for uh, you know giving this opportunity of connecting with Mahabharat in a meaningful way, something that I'd always wanted to do. Thank you so much. So glad, Drupal. Uh, next, can we have Siddharth? Uh... Uh, namaste. Uh, so my, I wrote the story Indra Among Rakshasas. It's a story on Ghatotkacha. So funnily enough, my introduction to the Mahabharata was not through reading, actually. There's a saying that elders use in my family that um, if you keep the Mahabharata at home, family fights would occur. So it was mostly Ramayana, which I grew up with. There was this animated film on the Ramayana, which I used to watch and rewatch multiple times. It was only during a trip to Bali with my parents when I was very young, around eight or nine years old. Right when you leave the Bali airport, there is this huge statue of Gatodgaja fighting Karna. It is, and I didn't know who that was back then. So my initial exposure, that as a young boy, that was the coolest thing to me at eight years old, seeing Gatodgaja fighting uh, Karna like that. So the first few like immediately after that, it was reading the abridged versions. Like first it was Rajaji's version. Then I got into the Amarshatra Katas. But when this competition was announced, I felt it would be a great opportunity to dive into the critical edition and into Bibek Devroy's version of the Mahabharata, his translation. So, and one of the characters that I could write upon was Gatot Gara. So I didn't, we missed that opportunity at all. I knew who I wanted to write on from the beginning. To me, when someone mentions Mahabharata, it's usually the first images that come up in their mind are probably Abhimanyu in the Chakravyuha or Krishna charging towards uh, Bhishma with a chariot wheel. To me, it was always Gatodgata fighting Karna. So I knew that if I had to write any story, it would always contain that scene in it. 
what I didn't know was Gatul Gacha himself had children who fought in the war along with him and that one of his sons died on the exact same night that he died, that's Anjana Parvan. So I thought it would be a very interesting way for me. The focus is always on Bhima Gatot Gaja, that duo, because of the values that Gatot Gaja shows in the epic. He famously tells Bhima that whenever you think of me, I will always be there, I will always come to you. And that loyalty, that devotion to his father, I thought, why not? juxtapose it, why not show it in a way where he's the father now and his son is with him in the battlefield. And the descriptions of Anjana Parvan, apart from a physical description, not much is said about his personality. So I thought that could be a good window for me, a good place for me to sink in and probably write. That was my take on this uh, story and on Gatot Kaja as a character. And I would deeply like to thank Indic Academy. I would like to thank Sai Swaroopaji for selecting my story, for finding some substance in it so that I've reached this stage here to share the screen with Dr. Vishwad Luri. So I'm extremely humbled and thank you so much to Indic Academy and to everyone who's made this journey possible. Amrita. Namaste, everyone. Uh, I'm Amrita, and I wrote The Mediocre Sun, which is on Prativind. So um, my first introduction to Mahabharat was at the age of 11, when I was in school, and it was via a children's version, Bengali version, abridged by Upendra Kishore Rai Choudhury, who is the grandfather of uh, legendary filmmaker Satyajit Ray. And at that very young age, uh, it was uh, the character of Draupadi and her polyandry and her polyandrous marriage, the whole setup and her love story, her, her affection for Arjun that really attracted me. But uh, me, because I was very young at the time, uh, my love for Mahabharat was, it, it remained dormant after that for a long time. And it was truly rekindled in 2013 when it was, uh, when the, when the epic was made uh, adapted in a very famous Hindi serial uh, on a very famous Hindi channel. And I was in college then, and the show immediately sparked my interest in the, in the epic. And I became very actively involved on social media discussions and debates on the various characters. And interestingly, uh, at that time, I came to know that there is something called unabridged Mahabharat, something which I was not aware of. Uh, I came to know about Kishori Mohan Ganguly's translation and the critical edition. Um, and it was at that time that I started reading them out. And I realized that there is so much that we don't know about the text of Mahabharat through these televised versions or popular adaptations. Because in general, what happens is the story is so big, it is always condensed uh, in a very typical good versus bad, in a very um, shortened way. Uh, it, because of which a lot of nuances are missed out, which we can find only in the unabridged version. So um, through these uh, social media debates and everything, I, it was here only that I came to know about Sai Sorupaji and her book on Draupadi. And I literally uh, stalked her on Facebook after that. And I found out what all other books she's written, Abhaya. And, uh, and then I... Read, up, read them up and it was on her timeline that I 
came to know about the initiative by Indic Academy about uh, this, uh, the lesser known warriors on Mahabharata, on Kurukshetra. So coming to my story, uh, my obvious choice of character was Prativind as uh, he is the son of Draupadi and Yudhishthir. Now the text itself uh, states very little about the five sons of Draupadi, except that they are mentioned collectively uh, every now and then. And they have some mention in the battle scenes. So, uh, because uh, the other some other sons of the Pandavas, uh, which is uh, which are like Abhimanyu, Ghadrotkach, and Iravan, because they are such fantastic warriors that somewhere the sons of Draupadi they get eclipsed and overshadowed. So um, that is why I picked up this character. And there were a few things I wanted to explore, uh, basically uh, through my story. First is uh, how it must have been for a young warrior like Prativind to be amidst people like Arjun, Bhim, Abhimanyu, Ghadotkach, who were such marvelous warriors and be relatively mediocre in their presence, you know. And yet, despite that, he doesn't dwell on his shortcomings and he strives to succeed with whatever he has. Uh, this is what really fascinated me and this is what I wanted to explore because uh, one thing that really intrigued me was that even though he was not perhaps as great as his brothers, the famous brothers like Abhimanyu and Ghadotkach, but he did manage to survive the 18-day war and was killed in the end by Ashwatthama. So he must have had something in him to be able to survive such terrible war for all these days. That was one. And another thing was uh, that he must have had a chip on his shoulder regarding his mother's humiliation. And he must have been at some point, at some uh, level, driven by uh, justice for her sake as well. So my story has honestly very less, uh, I mean, compared to other stories, it has less content about war. Uh, it focuses on uh, duel uh, between uh, Prativind and Chitra, or King Chitra or Abhishara on the 16th day. And there's a brief mention of a battle with uh, between Prativind and Ashwatthama on the 12th day. But most of the story, it focuses on uh, Prativind's psyche, his thoughts about his mother and the brotherhood he shared with uh, Shudakarman, who was the son of Draupadi and Arjun, and even uh, some memories about his cousin Abhimanyu. Uh, so that's it from my side. I thank Indic Academy and uh, Sai Sorupaji Hariji for this entire initiative uh, for getting us published. And I thank uh, Vishwaji for uh, his uh, marvelous, uh, you know, answers that he gave. I mean, it was really insightful. No, I mean, the Prativindya story was the first time I got a look at Prativindya. I was so humbled. I was like, <laughs> where is she bringing this stuff from? It was just, uh, just humbling, really. Very <laughs> nice. Thank you. Thank you. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you, Amrita Deepak. Namaste, everyone. Wish you a very good evening. And uh, good morning to friends in the US. So my story is about Bhagadatta. So this was actually my first attempt at writing a story. So prior to that in my career, I'd written a lot of technical related stuff like books for students and journal articles. So my knowledge of the Mahabharata was not from the unabridged version. I never read it. So my interest came about thanks to Saiji's tweets on the Kurukshetra war. So that really gave me an idea of what happened in the Kurukshetra war. Because our knowledge of the war is based on what we have seen in the TV shows. So there's only this welding, different color of welding, slow motion scenes. So we had only got that kind of a perception of the war. So in reality, it was something different. 
I mean, it was uh, uh, really phenomenal the way the war actually took place. So that inspired me to start writing about the war. And actually, what happened was I started writing a book on Abhimanyu. So while writing that, while studying about day twelve of the war, so I came across the account of Bhagadatta. So as a coincidence, at the same time, Saiji had uh, come out with this anthology idea. So I immediately decided that I'm going ahead with Bhagadatta. So the reason for that was I was really impressed by the fact that Bhagadatta was a war machine. So he was actually a one in two in one package. So one was he himself was a veteran warrior, and second he had that powerful war elephant, Supratika. So unlike other uh, elephants, it was not just satisfied in taking its master to the battlefield. but it would actively participate and in fact terrorize the opponents so on day 12 he unleashed mayhem on the pandava army and it was such a fearsome assault of both the king and his elephant that even bhima had to flee he could not uh, handle the attack so yudhishthira satyaki everyone had to flee so only one who could handle him at that time was arjuna so there is another uh, interesting thing which i came across when i started uh, researching for this story was the fight between arjuna and bhagadatta during the rajasuya yatna so at that time it took 8 days for arjuna to finally get bhagadatta to surrender so uh, bhagadatta tries everything for 8 days so finally he runs out of options so he says i can't fight anymore so tell me what you want and arjuna says that you please give tribute to yudhishthira and come and be a part of the rajasuya yatna so there there is a uh, you know a background to arjuna and bhagadatta prior to that and on day 12 so there is this fierce fight between arjuna and bhagadatta which i focused on in my story and one more thing what uh, impressed me about bhagadatta was that the mahabharata text the uh, translation by uh, km ganguly so it talks about how he was the king of the kinnaras yavanas and mlechas so it talks about uh, he was Heading an empire which ranged from the hills to the seashore. So uh, my analysis was that probably the entire eastern region was ruled by him. So he was truly a great warrior, and he for him war was dharma. So he had no stakes in this particular war. He would not gain anything whether Duryodhana won or Yudhishthira won. So maybe it is because his father Naraka was killed by uh, Krishna. So maybe he had a personal stake. Maybe he felt humiliated that he had to surrender to Arjuna, so he chose the Kaurava side. And day twelve was his day when he had to finally unleash himself on the Pandavas. And Arjuna was the only one who could tackle him. So the main reason for Bhagadatta's power was that he had the Vaishnavastra, which Narakasura had given to him. So as a last resort, when nothing worked, he decided to unleash it on Arjuna. So, and as uh, Professor Adlori has uh, so nicely pointed out, it impaled Krishna, but then it becomes into a Vijayanti Mala, and its energy goes into the Lord. So that's when finally Arjuna is able to kill Bhagadatta. So the, I found this part of the story fascinating, and the main thing I, what I found was that unlike Narakasura, who had a perception of being an evil king, there was nothing to suggest that. Bhagadatta was a tyrant or an evil king. He was a warrior. He spent a lot of his life fighting the uh, on the battlefield. So he had defeated Indra previously, and Indra was his friend. So he also says that Pandu is his friend. So he was a warrior, and 
ultimately he succumbed on the battlefield which is the greatest thing which can happen to a veteran warrior so that is about my story and as a debutant author it was really great that i got a chance to get published so thanks to sai ji thanks hari ji and the entire indic team and we have been getting amazing feedback uh, from readers so really sincerely thankful to everyone thank you thanks a lot uh, deepak uh... Uh, Vishwagaru, it was an honor, privilege, and a pleasure to interact with you uh, uh, over the session. We don't know how the two hours passed, and okay. uh, thank you. We just and uh, uh, we are waiting for your next book. Indic Academy would be so happy to publish it, and uh, we at Indic Book Club will put put our best foot forward in uh, promoting it to the masses. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, each one of you. Thank you for bringing the the light of the Mahabharata into my life in this new way. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Om Namo Narayanaya Shri Krishna Pranamastu. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vishwa. Oh no problem, Hari Ji. Namaste. So next would be Pranshu. Hi. So uh, yeah, according on the same lines, right? Uh, I was aware of Mahabharata as such, you know, from a childhood. Again, you know, uh, growing up in India, uh, uh, like I would actually always tell tell a joke like this: that my daughter is an American, my mother is British, and my grandmother was Canadian, who told me the stories. But for me, the land. So, um, uh, but the the idea of uh, like detailed Mahabharat actually came from my uh, grandfather, maternal grandfather. He used to ca- uh, keep a uh, Shanti Parv and Yog Vashisht uh, as a couple of books uh, among other books by his bedside. And uh, as a six-year-old, he gave them to me. And so, for the next uh, six, seven years, I read Shanti Parv. Uh, which you could see was like a little damaging experience for a child uh, till the till i was about 12 when you know i found my uh, the, the full complete set which my grandmother had inherited from my great grandfather and that's how i basically and because of shanti par the details in that you know the the real it's it basically the whole philosophy lies in that uh, section which you know everybody ignores because it is after the war so that is where i basically got interested in the detailed aspects of the war and uh, shanti and anushasan parv also basically deal with a little bit uh, on the on the human scale of these things and so when from the beginning when i was uh, uh, reading mahabharat uh, you know uh, i always liked these extra characters like you know they don't have to be the heroes or the the main characters of it but the story is a little bit story on the others like my mother was in 80s doing she was doing a research on a story for eklavya he he's a character who comes in adipar for a few seg- segments he's a little popular character uh, because of, because of his background uh, he was actually a cousin of krishna and uh, during that research which uh, my mom was doing she got a brought a lot of books and in kamla subramaniam's uh, relatively less abridged edition i came across yudhamanyu and utmoja and these were these two warriors who were basically you know chosen to be the wheel protectors for uh, uh, arjun and uh, they 
fought throughout the 18 days of war. Again, as uh, uh, you know, Amrita was talking about Prithivindya. These were not ordinary warriors. They were they had something extra about them. They were they were the survivors, and that's one of the things I actually tried to bring in this, um, bring in the in my story is I put in the quote from Patton, actually General Patton, that no one won a war by dying gloriously for his countries. The the, the wars are won by making sure someone else dies gloriously for their country. The, it's only the survivors who basically can enjoy uh, the fruits of victory if they are looking for fighting for dharma and other stuff. So that's why these characters were uh, interested, uh, like interesting to me, and I, that's why I, I mean I discovered a bunch of others like Kanan and Dhatnaika, Indrasen, Vishok, Dhamme at all. Like, you know, Vyas Mahabharat is full of these gems of characters littered right through the epic. And uh, they are like generally ignored, but essential to the story. Um, uh, they they stick with the heroes from through you know literally sickness and health to prosperity and exile. They were closer than they were closer than the family itself. Like their cousins are the ones who are trying to kill them. So I I delved into a little bit on the motivations of these people. And uh, Mr. Uh, as uh, Dr. Adluri just talked about, like you know, that you know, it's the shining light of the um, uh, the Mahabharat has this inner shining light. And I I remember a, a phrase from one of my uh, grandmother's poetry books: "Chalte rahe jalus ke aage wo tamam raat wo to mashalchi hain haath mein ujala liye hue." They kept walking all night, leading the troops. They are the torchbearers, carrying the illuminations in their hands. And these characters basically are the are the sort of the um, the meat and the you know the sinews of this epic, and that's where you know I wanted to write about Yudhamanyu. The second aspect, obviously, was the day fourteen. This is uh, another very important day of the war. This it was the anvil on which the victory of Dharm was forged, literally. Uh, this uh, this was the turn of the tide, literally. Uh, the this was a day when they chose an attacking mode for the first time in the war. The the the, the they were active and not reactive for the first time. And even Vyas also spends a lot of day on this war. I mean, on this on this battle, on this fourteenth day of the battle. I mean, it's bigger than the total description of the war in the Pishampar. It's bigger than the whole of Shaldipar. So this small description, this fourteenth day battle, is a huge segment of the war itself. I think it's about. Uh, like 17% of the war is basically on this day only, day 14. And and it it basically shows that there's going to be victory. When you go back later and when you go into Sripar, Gandhari finds the dead bodies from this day on the battlefield. That the Kaurav army lost so many soldiers that day that they could not police their battlefield. Their infrastructure, their war machine broke down that day. That is the day which the victory is assured. Uh, another tertiary uh, point I wanted to bring out in this story, which actually uh, uh, was that uh, I want, there's all this stories about like, you know, uh, the uh, the eclipse and all that. Uh, so I wanted to literally bring out that, yes, Narayan was the guide, but it was the nerve, the, the human effort, superhuman effort even, of Arjun, which actually did that deed. And this is something basically, you know, we sort of uh, try to eclipse uh, the effort, the hard work, 
Uh, and that's where, again, I've talked about this, that, you know, it is not only the hard work is to live and build on that victory, to use its fruit and build a legacy about it. And that's where these characters are very important, these 14-odd characters, which are like these the, the, the servants of uh, Pandavas, or the people associated around the support staff. And they are there in uh, beginning of, uh, they are from there when they went into exile, to when they actually won the war, and they, and they were the ones who went to Hastinapur to set up the, the coronation. So this idea that uh, what is the battle, uh, what is this war to them? They are not worried about this Bhumi Bharan project of Vyas. They are not worried about the, uh, they may be worried, but they, they are, do not concern. They are concerned about what how the dharma affects them. And that's fair, you know, as I said, they actually, stuck with the Pandavas because they just loved them. And this is what I wanted to bring out that, and that's what, you know, uh, nobody won, uh, that basically you do not win the war by fighting who you hate. You win the war by protecting who you love. And then on Valentine's Day, we are presenting this book. So I wanted to put that point out there. Thank you. And I really, uh, I, I mean, I appreciate Sai and all the work she did with me in editing this and Indie Academy for giving this uh, idea, this opportunity and the platform for sharing my story. Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, Pranshu. It was a pleasure reading your story as well. So we'll move to Shiv Kumar. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Sai Surupa. So, um, the way it began was I had just then uh, started writing on Mahabharata, a couple of articles on Indic Today. And uh, of course, Indic Today and Indic Academy is uh, one platform where uh, all the civilizational thought is uh, flowering. And, uh, you know, I was uh, looking for where all I can um, engage myself with and then suddenly this opportunity uh, to, to write a story on one of the Mahabharata warriors came. <clears throat> the inspiration uh, for Mahabharata, I mean, everybody else has said that and, you know, like Dr. Vishwa himself said, you know, starting from the uh, grandmother ecosystem. Uh, so, uh, we breathed Ramayana and Mahabharata uh, at home. Uh, mother had told Ramayana a million times, but Mahabharata too. But then, at least in Karnataka, the discourse culture is so deep that one kept listening to different stories of Mahabharata at different points in time, in different places, by different Acharyas. And, you know, it was all the time in the air and you read a book and there is some reference to some story in Mahabharata. And so I began collecting that and I realized that the story of Mahabharata is just not the Kuru Pandava, uh, Kaurava Pandava conflict, but it is uh, much more than that. And by then Amar Chitrakatha was there and you, had, you know, one had read all the Amar Chitrakatha stories and I obviously, you know, in the Kurukshetra war, three moments are very touching. One is when Bhishmacharya falls. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a moment, you know, in, in Mahabharata. And then it is Abhimanyu Ghatot Kacham. 
in particular why ghatot kacha was very um um you know i was very attracted was that fabulous character very interesting uh, uh, person huge and you know makes for a, a great imagination cameo not a very big role but extremely impactful and in the folk culture you know there is a significant reimagination of uh, ghatot kacha his entire abhimanyu's marriage and ghatot kacha going and helping it it's not there in the vyasa bharata but it is so prevalent in the entire maya bazar uh, movie and you know there is so much imagination around ghatot kacha at the same time the 14th 14th day is phenomenally uh, uh, important and uh, ghatot kacha uh, 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 you know his his death makes the fundamental difference uh, most critical difference you know and you know that that karna wanting to hold the shakti ayudha and ghatot kacha you know forcing it for karna to uh, hit on him i could never uh, forget that at the same time you know our lives are not our lives our lives is a function of how we live with everybody else and how we see others and how others see us so i wanted to you know view ghatot kacha from the eyes of all others who interacted with him and what was the impact of that interaction on ghatot kacha in turn he went and you know helped draupadi in the, in in manaparva it's a small moment but what would have happened how would have uh, hidimba felt you know uh, when she was sending ghatot kacha up and down and post bhimasena going what would what would have happened on the ground for uh, hidimba and there are you know indications of that when alambusha and alayudha they come and you know in their proclamations of war they refer to bhima killing their and uh, you know uh, parents and bhima and hidimba marrying a man was a matter of insult to the rakshasas so it is in this background i connected all the dots and wrote the story at the same time bhima's marriage to hidimba and you know eventual birth of ghatotkacha is part of larger metaphor crafted into mahabharata where bhima is the pandava who kills maximum number of rakshasas but bhima marries hidimba and there is an offspring so there is an inclusivity uh, as well so in, in mahabharata always the engagement is multidimensional so the same bhimasena who kills rakshasas it is through them that a connection for the kuru pandava uh, kuru uh, kingdom with rakshasas uh, happen so um, in this light i wanted to reimagine all of that and these reimaginations are really the instruments and processes for our rediscovery so we bring the tradition into our own times through these uh, reimaginations and my own fascination with uh, ghatotkacha you know made me choose ghatotkacha for uh, this reimagination and of course all this is happening uh, because of the platform that we have uh, from indic academy i think uh, you know it's a great uh, civilizational journey that's happening through that and uh, uh, thanks to harigaru 
and uh, thanks to sai swarupa for inspiring all of us you know uh, for you know going through this journey and coming up with this thank you thank you shiva it was a pleasure reading through your story uh, as well and i'm so glad we all teamed up on it so we'll move to raksha uh, namaste everyone i'm raksha rajesh the author of the story the righteous trader i am 19 years old and i am a law student i mean am i really a law student if i don't brag about it or try to add the fact that i am one in every sentence that i say but um jokes aside writing has always been a passion of mine since i was little and still if it weren't for my father i wouldn't be here today because he asked me to be fearless and not worry about what other people would think of my writing the best part about all of this is that i have been able to meet all of these wonderful people present here and the lovely readers um who took out their time to appreciate our stories and listening to dr luri today has been mesmerizing it's been a pri privilege honestly now coming to my story my main character is yuyutsu and um yuyutsu is the step brother of the kauravas and the son of dhritarashtra and gandhari's maid sugada so what drew me to choose yuyutsu is the fact that he is a graceful man who strongly believes in dharma even though uh he's had many reasons not to because of his rough childhood and the people surrounding him were filled with greed and a lot of other bad qualities he's a person who's been devoid of love from his father but on the other hand he was brought up with a lot of devotion from his mother and took a lot of her qualities so he is the younger brother of duryodhana and um to the nine to and and the other 99 kauravas older brother which makes him the second oldest so his character is an inspiration for all those who choose to do or want to do the right thing despite trying circumstances so i grew up listening and reading the rich history of india and to me mahabharat is the fountain of knowledge and the reservoir of wisdom despite being a 5000 year old epic mahabharata has many things to learn from especially in the qualities of being dharmic and do, doing one's duty correctly it's a melting pot of numerous connected stories and one can always relate to it themselves or um other characters depicted in the epic all in all i am very excited and grateful to be here my selected story has actually given me a a lot of confidence and have and i have continued writing short stories for different blogs and platforms and i'd like to thank ms saiswarupa for her constant guidance and indic academy support for budding authors like me and i hope to make it big someday thank you thank you raksha we wish you all the best it was a pleasure reading your story as well as uh, the story of abhyuday you guys uh, are our hope uh, i'm so happy i found you guys uh, you know uh, through this book so we move to abhyuday uh, before abhyuday starts about his book uh, uh, let me say that uh, once when i read his story and then i came to know that he's a 14 year old i couldn't believe myself because uh, at 14 i was just uh, beginning to read uh, i had just discovered the unabridged uh, version of mahabharata i had not even begun to read it 
uh, and at this age, uh, he got to write a whole short story. And though he wrote on an antagonist like Jayadrata at uh, such a young age, he did not lose the sight of dharma. And that's what gives me hope about uh, the whole generation of Hyudai. Uh, so please go on. Namaste, everyone. Um, my name is Abhidai Kiran Hadal, and I'm from uh, I'm class I'm in class eight, and I'm the author of uh, Killing of Jayadrata. So um, I wrote about Jayadrata. So one of the main things I had to keep in mind uh, while writing about uh, Jayadrata was not be overly uh, sympathetic towards him and not to invoke a lot of sympathy from the readers. So. Uh, uh, I uh, discovered the Mahabharata from my grandparents, as Adluri ji said that uh, uh, grandmothers are professors of the Mahabharata. My grandmother introduced me to the Mahabharata and told me short stories from there, and that uh, made me very passionate about it. And I started reading more about it on internet, and then I uh, read, read the uh, uh, unabridged version at, uh, by uh, Bibek de Broy. And then I'm really thankful for Sai Swarupaji for giving me this opportunity to uh, uh, um, this is my debut uh, debut work, and uh, I hope I write a book someday. Uh, that's about it. Thank you, Abhuday. Uh, thank you, all writers. It was amazing to rewind the whole journey as each of you went through your stories and experiences. Uh, and thanks a lot, uh, Indika and Harikiran Nanaya, for uh, encouraging us all through the journey. Both the ideas, uh, you know, the idea behind my quantitative study as well as the idea to make a part of that study you know, get into popular imaginations and invite stories from people who really, really value Mahabharata. It has been his idea and I am so happy I found these 10 writers. So it's like, it's a kind of transformational point in my life. It uh, gives me a lot of hope that uh, the Mahabharata is here to stay, here to stay and uh, we, uh, the Hindu heart pumps for Mahabharata as Vishwaji rightly said. Uh, so thank you, thanks a lot. Uh, viewers, sorry, uh, we cannot take any more questions, but please join uh, Indic Book Club Facebook group. All the authors here are uh, members there and we would be happy to interact with all of you. Thank you for joining. It was, uh, I know it was a two and a half hour session, but I did not uh, notice how time flew. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this program. Thank you, writers. Thank you, Harikaranji and Indika. Thank you, Yogini, Abhinav, and thank you, Vishwaji. Thank you. Thank you, Saiji. Thank you, Sai. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.